Today's Tuesday, October 1st, 2019, and this week on the Birdland BS Podcast. The Ravens lose an embarrassing one to the Browns at home, but it's a quick turnaround as we head to Pittsburgh for Steelers week. The Terps get ran over at home against Penn State, and the Orioles finish off the season with a series win in Boston. Stay tuned. So let's take it to the Birdland. That Baltimore home flavor is coming firsthand. Fred Scott and Ryan, tell them the word, man. Mixing a little BS to make it work, man. Sports, they got it. On excitement, the topic. Make sure when they toss you the ball, you don't drop it. With all that swag, you're going to listen regardless. Here comes the pitch, so it's time to get it started. It's Birdland BS. BS, BS. What's up, BSers? I'm back. And apparently <sighs> a little rusty. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're back. And we got to do this show. I'll be honest with you. This was like the one week going up to today, this after this weekend. I, re- I, like did, I wasn't looking forward to doing, to doing the show. Like, I was so worked up over this weekend that, like... What the hell did you do to him while I was gone, Brian? Uh, Jesus. I broke him. <laughs> Such a rough weekend. We got a lot... A lot to cover on the show. Obviously, we all know uh, the debacle that was the Ravens and Browns game. Um, debacle doesn't even say it. Like the, it doesn't the even shit say show. It. Yeah, the that's shit better. Show I like that of one. A game that that was, and uh, a lot of a lot of things to address with this team. Uh, as rosy a picture as we painted early on in the year and in the preseason, uh, things are. I listen. I'm not ready to throw in a towel on the Ravens' season or anything, but there's obviously things that need to be addressed with this team. Hundred percent. Hundred percent need to be addressed. And then obviously on Friday, you know, I left work early, went down, had a great time with uh, Ryan, my my uh, Shell and Tell co-host, uh, at the Terps game. But uh, that fun, they shook the bed ended, a little more. Yeah, <laughs> that that was diarrhea of the bed. Is what that was. That's putting it nicely. <laughs> I mean, literally, I, I was um, I was checked out from the game uh, halfway through the first quarter. At that point, I'm just having conversations with everybody and anybody here around me. Granted, I was... Uh, I was going to say, could I have anything to do with that many drinks? I may have been drinking? two sheets to the wind. I may have been a little tipsy, uh, but nonetheless, <laughs> had a good time. Just, uh, yeah, a rough, rough weekend of sports. I'm, like, sad that I missed that game and couldn't go to it because I originally was supposed to go to that game with you guys and yeah. then suffer with, with my full-time job. But now I'm kind of like, I'm like, kind of glad, but kind of not, because it would have been fun to just go and get shit faced. But then I'm like, eh, I don't know if I could have enjoyed it as bad as they were getting beat. It was, it was rough. Did you stay for the whole game? Oh, I stayed for the whole game for both games. You know what? I get a standing ovation for that. <laughs> I absolutely get a standing ovation. I stayed for the entire game, both games, and put myself through 99 points. Ouch. Of absolute misery, because that's what was scored between the Ravens games and the Terps games. Yeah, I, I, I credit you with that. You it have, was you, you get a lot of credit. It was rough. <laughs> uh, and then, but we did uh, end on a bang for the Orioles season out in Boston, as we end up winning two out of three up in Fenway, and uh, had a pretty nice play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, potentially play of the year. Um, yeah. We'll kind of talk about it here in a little bit, but we've got some <laughs> we've got some some other stuff with Orioles to talk about as well. Not just that play, right? But some other things that happened this past week that we've been clamoring for since the beginning of the season. That's right. 
But hey, have you guys been injured at work or in an auto accident not sure who to call? 855-MD-CRASH are the Maryland personal injury attorneys. God damn it. <laughs> Every time. And there we go. Is that my fault? <laughs> no, it's no. because I forgot to hit the thing. You want to put it back out of studio before oh, we go man. <laughs> Way to start this sponsorship off. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> if you've been injured at work or in an auto accident and you weren't sure who to call, 855-MD-CRASH are the Maryland personal injury attorneys that have your back. If you find yourself in that unfortunate situation, and I know I have on many occasions, give our team at MD Crash a call right away. We all know that the cost of medical bills, lost wages, and pain and suffering can add up quickly and potentially put you in a bad financial position. If you want a team that will handle your case, big or small, and just give you some peace of mind, save this number now. 855-MD-CRASH. That's 855-632-7274. Be sure to follow them on Facebook for fun giveaways, including tickets to some of our hometown teams. All right, Scott, we got to do it. We got to get into it. Before before we get into it, quick quick shout out here yeah. to our, our last uh, sponsor, John. Those of you that know, John sponsored us. He was our first sponsor. Our inaugural. So, huge thank you uh, after a good year with John. Uh, we had MD Crash call, so we're we're sponsored by MD Crash now. And yeah. th- that team over there, you were talking talking to them, talking to me about them. Really great team over there. Absolutely. Excited to start working with them, yep. uh, and they, they can really help you out with all your needs. Yeah, but again, to John, appreciate uh, you taking the adventure on us for a year. Uh, it means a lot to us. You guys were our first go around, and uh, it helped us get through this past year financially. Yeah. So we really really appreciate it. All right, but let's get into this debacle again. The Ravens lose at home to the Browns, 40-25, to 25, but even that score doesn't do it justice because some of those points came in garbage time after the game, or yeah. you know, after the game was pretty much far over at that point. The Browns are who we thought they were. That's what many of in the national media are saying. Well, they're coming out with it. They looked good, but for a depleted secondary for the Ravens, no pass rush. We're going to get into it here in a minute. There's a lot of things to look at in this game. Well, I think you bring up a good point there. And, you know, everybody wants to point at singular things. And albeit, there are a ton of things that went wrong. A ton. A ton of things that went wrong in this game. And that's that's kind of where I want to start with this thing was – This loss isn't on any one individual or any one thing, and I think this kind of speaks volumes to where this organization and this team is at at this point. I mean, this was the epitome of a team loss. Yeah, 100%. I mean, all fronts. You had, as you mentioned, the pass rush was absolutely non-existent in this game. You had pass coverage, which was terrible. Marlin being the one exception to the rule. Marlin shut down Odie. (laughs) OD, you know, yeah, OBD, credit, OBJ. credit to the defensive players, because every exactly. defensive player that was interviewed after the game mm-hmm. gave Marlon his due credit. They were all saying that the only person that played to the high level was Marlon. He right. had OBJ covered all game, regardless of the, the situations that happened. Uh, we'll get into those here in a little bit. But I give I do give the defense credit in calling out and basically saying there was only one guy on this defense that did his job today. And that yeah. was Marlon. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the absolute truth of it. I think prior to the game, everybody was a little kind of taken off that uh, Brandon Williams yeah. was inactive for the game. I don't. There was no reports of him being hurt prior to the game, well, so it kind of so threw fri- me for a win. Friday, they were saying that, that he wasn't. He was feeling a little bit uneasy. Um, what well, was his knee? Is what he, right, and that's said. what I'm saying. He was feeling a little uneasy on it. 
And so then they were they figured they let him go. And then it was the call was actually made during uh, pregame practice where he apparently did not feel comfortable. They did not feel comfortable letting him go out there. So they just went ahead and said, you know, he's not going to suit up for this game. And we missed him. I mean, it was it was drastic with the way that the Browns ran against us and ran against our front in this game. It, it was uh, it was a big need, yeah. and a big uh, void in the front of that defense. And, and Pier- Pierce was right on that when he was asked about that. He was like, yeah, he's like, anytime you're, you're missing a guy that's, you know, a top guy that's at that position, it's, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt big time. And for them, yeah, it was unex- it was unexpected, but they got to deal with it. It's supposed to be next man up. Right. And today, it was not, or on Sunday, it was not next, next man up. That was Pierce's words. And I think one of the more frustrating things for me in this game was just some of the fundamental things. The tackling in this game was absolutely oh. atrocious. Did you hear Tony Jefferson's comments after the game regarding the tackling? No. He's like, he literally said, we just got to straight up tackle instead of ducking and dodging tackles. Yeah, I mean, this has kind of been one of my frustrations over the years is that sometimes guys will try to make the play, the big plays. You know, they try to strip try to, the ball right, or exactly. try to drive their shoulder into the ball carrier, that kind of thing, instead of just... Doing Stop what you're the taught, guy. St- doing what you're taught in Pop Warner. Wrap the guy up and bring him down. Yeah. Simple formed tackles is what's going to stop a run in its tracks. You're late in the game. You're down by one score. You need a turnover. Okay, you start doing that shit. Right. But th- to start the game doing that shit, the game's nothing, nothing, and you're sitting there trying to punch the ball out. You're sitting there trying to, to wrap the guy up and hit him. Have another guy come in and hit him hard. Exactly. To pop the ball out, it just doesn't work. And then on the offensive side of the ball, the blame can't stop with just the defense. Look, the offensive line in this game, Horrendous. outside of Stanley, and I think Stanley did a pretty darn good job against Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett is one of the best defensive ends in yeah. the game, and I think he's one of the fastest defensive ends in the game, and he's a physical specimen. And I think Stanley handled him pretty damn good in this game, but outside of that, For the most part, yeah. Outside of that, Lamar had absolutely no time to get comfortable in the pocket in this game, had no time to go through his projection, his progressions, and he suffered from it. Zeus Jr. looks like shit in that game. Yeah. He looked horrible. He looked slow. Uh, and then Bozeman was getting beat all freaking day, yeah. all day long. And I, I'm sorry, dude, if you're watching, Skur was getting hit hard after the snap yeah. it was he was coming up and he was already getting hit they were on him quick yeah. in that game so i'm giving him a little bit of credit to their defense for scouting that they felt that he was a weak point but dude you got to step up your game man because he they were coming up the middle like nobody's business yeah and it was it was just frustrating to watch you know a lot of you know all the the lamar haters out of there out there wanted to give lamar a lot of you know crap for not having a great game and look he didn't put up a ton of yards uh, especially in the first half. You know, he had under 100 yards passing in the first half combined, and I was kind of scratching my head, but part of that was the defense couldn't get off the field. No. So the Browns in the first half dominated time of possession. They did. There were key turnovers. I, I'm sorry, you know, as great a, a game as Mark Ingram was having, that fumble that he had in that game was crucial. Yes. It was huge. It was a momentum swing. I mean, just everything after that fumble changed in that game. Uh, so you had that issue. And then the problem that has been our Achilles heel for years has been the dropsies. And we saw that in this game between the tight ends and the wide receivers. I saw even Hollywood Brown drop a Multiple couple of passes. Drops. He had the, the touchdown drop. Now, granted, it wasn't the greatest throw. It was a low throw. But nonetheless, it was a catch that he should have had. And then, obviously, the bonehead 
can't doesn't have the awareness when he's catching the ball. Chris Moore sideline attempt at a catch where he steps out of bounds. That was another huge killer. You gotta there. know where you are on the field. I'm sorry. Like that was that wasn't a. It was hard for him to make the play. That was that was situational awareness. Yeah, or lack of situational awareness right. on his part. Completely agree with you there. That that was wasn't just a, it wasn't it wasn't a great throw. Again, wasn't a perfect throw by but any it, means. It, it, but as a wide receiver, when you're standing there on the sideline, wide open, you've got all the time in the world because it took a minute for that ball to get there. I will did, say that it took a second for it to get there. But for you not to have the awareness to make sure you can get up and get your feet, both feet in bounds when you catch that ball is unexcusable. We see guys do this on the fly, running full on sprint, catching the ball, diving, but still have the awareness to be able to toe tap and keep their feet in bounds. You mean this guy standing still couldn't do that? Yeah, no. He When you're catching a ball like that, you have to know where you're at. When you go, when he goes to get that ball, he's got to go get that ball in towards the field, not going out. I get right. it, but there's nobody around you. There's no reason for you to go out to the sideline. You can go straight up and in. I'm cutting that ball off, and if I come off in bounds, I come down in bounds. Fine, whatever. But you gotta come down in bounds. Right. If you get hit hard as soon as you come down, whatever, take it. But you can't take it out of bounds because you lost that play. You lost the momentum of that drive in that play. But so we had those issues obviously on offense, and that was. Uh, definitely those were contributors to this game, but the bigger story is absolutely on the other side of the ball, the defense, right? This is now two weeks in a row that we've given up over 500 yards of total offense. We've given up over 1,000 yards in two weeks of total offense in two weeks. That's unraven-like so, for the last couple of decades. So simple, straight question for you that's going to have a long, complex answer. I know this is coming. What's wrong? Oh, that's a loaded question. I mean, it is, but that's why I said it's a long answer. It's not, it's not any one thing, and this kind of goes to my point earlier, is I think, and in myself included and you, I think the loss of the veterans that we had this year uh, is speaking volumes right now. And I said this kind of last week. I really think that this defense is missing the communication side of what those three guys right up the middle brought. Weddle. Uh, CJ and Suggs, what they were able to do communication-wise on their respective planes, right? You've got Suggs keeping the guys on the defensive line in gear. You've got CJ Mosley keeping the guys in the middle on gear. You've got Weddle keeping the guys on the back end in line. That's now gone, and that's never been more evident than in this game when they ended up taking the mic away from Peanut and are giving it to Tony <laughs> Jefferson. Jefferson. Right. So the, the thing here that I thought was interesting, it's, it's interesting you kind of brought up that point, is when you when they had the, these conversations post-game with the media afterwards, including Harbaugh, mm. in the past, I've always heard so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. Those are our leaders. They're the vocal leaders, and you can see it on the sideline. As a fan, you can see it on the sideline when they're you know in TV and as media. We're not seeing that this year. No. And you're not hearing it either. When... <clears throat> When Harbs was asked that question, and it really kind of pissed me off to yesterday when he had the, his presser, his Monday presser, he said he was asked the question of, you know, who are the vocal leaders? And he said, his response was, well, that, that's in-house. That's for us to know. We have our leaders. Da, da, da. And I just I, I literally sat there at my phone. Thank God I'm in my house for my full time job because I literally sat at my phone and went bull fucking shit. Excuse my language. 
But Harbaugh was never more full of shit than he was in that press conference yesterday. I agree. It pissed me off as I was sitting there. I'm like, you are you are just looking. And I'll give credit to our buddy Engraven. He said today uh, there was a, a loss. I'll just go ahead and talk about it. Tim Williams. Yeah. Tim Williams cut today from the team. And I think Engraven was on to something when he said this team right now, right now, is looking for a scapegoat. Yeah. Because they don't 100%. know the answer. I do think Tim Williams, and yes, Tim Williams, if you haven't heard already, was released from the team today. And look, he hasn't been productive. For being a third-round pick, he hasn't been anywhere near what we expected him to be. He hasn't been seeing the field. I think he's been more inactive than he has been active through his entire career with us. So he's been a huge disappointment. But this team lacks sorely pass rush, and I don't think that this addresses or fixes anything. Now, if they've got a plan out there, I, I'm telling you there's no legitimate or good pass rushers out there that are beating down the door to replace this guy on the roster. Maybe there's somebody out there that they have their mind, you know, their eyes on on a practice squad, or maybe a guy that they're going to bring in. They've already brought in they one brought or in two LJ guys. Fort and then well, they brought in LJ guy. Fort. They signed him as a linebacker, but I'm saying, you know, another guy for the outside for the pass rush. Uh, LJ Fort's going to end up being a Mike linebacker. He's going to be the middle middle right. guy. And, um, and apparently play some special teams. Apparently, Harbs yes. in his press conference, that was one of the first things he addressed after coming out and saying he was late for uh, uh, meeting with um, OJ Bergantz's family, uh, but he he talked about that and he said that he expects immediately for LJ Fort to jump into the defensive play as well as the special teams play. Yeah. So it's curious to see how they'll work him in. Yeah, and and they, they need it. They absolutely yeah. need that help there. Um, but again, you know, I know some people want to kind of get into the debate of. Is the bigger issue pass rush or is a bigger issue secondary? And we can do that and we can have that battle and we can go back and forth. The problem is they're both issues right now. It's right. not it's not just, well, the pass rush is bad and that's why the secondary is bad. No, it's it's the secondary is playing terrible football right now. This was a unit that we were praising like it was the second come of the Legion of Boom. No pun intended with with <laughs> Earl Thomas being well, here. Well, you know what? But since, since you led there, I'm going to lead you into this because I oh, know geez. you are not happy. We're going to go down this rabbit hole. We're going to go either way. So I'm just going to lead you down the, the rabbit hole. What the hell is Earl Thomas's deal? Uh, another load of questions. So there, there's different levels to this question as well, right? There's there's the uh, the easy answer. He's coming into a new defensive system that he's got to learn. Uh, he was he was running basically just a cover two defense out in Seattle the entire time that he was there. So these exotic schemes and these different coverages and these different formations he's not familiar with. So if we want to make excuses for him, that's the excuse that you can put up there. Now, if you just look at the statistics, is he making tackles? Yes, he's making tackles when you're just looking at the statistics. But for me, this is a guy who came in and signed one of the biggest deals for a safety in the NFL, and we praised him as this ball-hawking, playmaking, thumping-type safety that we've had here in the past. Well, he, has, he, has, he couldn't ride Ed Reed's coattails right now. He, I mean... I, I've yet to see him make a true impact play. Hey. Have I seen him run from one side of the field to the other side of the field and make a tackle on occasion? Yes. But he has not made any impact on this defense at all as of yet. I'm going to poke the bear with a, with a, a sound effect here. First and 15. Chubb. Chubb with running room. 
Chubb to the 40, on his way to the end zone. All right. <laughs> He's already so, getting ripped. So, so <laughs> I, again, I'm a season ticket holder for you guys out there that watch the show, and my season tickets are in the upper deck. And everybody, and I'm talking everybody in my section that I could have a conversation with or hear clearly, all saw the same thing. We all saw Earl Thomas give up on the play on Chubb. Instant reaction I had was, hmm. He probably wouldn't have caught him anyway, whatever. That's how I blew it off, right? Because I was already pissed off in the situation. <laughs> I didn't want to get any more angry. I'd been through enough this weekend. But then the more I thought about it, right, <clears throat> this guy is supposed to be this new leader on the defense. He's supposed to be the playmaking safety. He, safety. He's supposed to be setting the example for everybody else out there. I'm going to tell you one thing. Bowser was in on that play and was 15 yards behind Earl Thomas. He didn't give up on that play until Chubb crossed the end zone. Same thing with Kenny Young. Kenny Young had no shot at getting him. But you know who came in the picture at the end of the play? It wasn't Earl Thomas. It was Kenny Young at the end of the play. Yeah, it was. And Earl Thomas's excuse was, well, I've been in that situation before and I've pulled a hammy. It wasn't going to happen to me today. My friend, you are paid to go out there, make plays, and play until the whistle. I was taught that at Pop Warner when I was paying to play. Not being paid, <laughs> I was paying to play. I was taught that you do not stop until the whistle, right? This is supposed to be an elite of the elite safety. He did not look elite on that play. He looked like somebody who was defeated and didn't care. He gave up. That frustrates me as a fan. This isn't a I hate Earl Thomas thing because I do think that Earl Thomas will get this together, and I do think once he gets a little bit more comfortable in this defensive system, we'll see a different Earl Thomas second half of the year. I do, I, do, I will say that, but my argument, because I got in on Twitter on a, uh, on a few other people on this as well, and we're going back and forth. It was a good debate. My argument on this is, the first four weeks of the season. What have I had? What have I seen so far into the season? Not what he's going to do in the second half of the season. I do believe he'll get it turned around. But what I've seen so far in these four first four weeks, he has not been worth the money to me. Not worth the money. I, I agree. But I, I think you're. If I'm if I'm going back to what I said last week, I think there is an uh, overlooking of the impact when you're not hearing a guy's name. Yes, he's not around it. Did I anoint him the second coming of, of Ed Reed? No, I personally didn't. Is he a good safety? Yes, absolutely. I think he's a good safety. He's able to play coverage. He was having to try to cover the, the other side of the field. They didn't hit a whole ton of deep balls down the field in this game. It was a lot of over-the-middle shit. It was a lot of letting the run game and Nick Chubb run all over this this offense or this defensive line and the get into the secondary as far as that goes. He's on the other side of the field. They see a weakness because... You have Humphrey that is so focused on OBJ. I get it. I get your point of view. What I would say to you is the fact that I think you're overlooking the impact just because you're not hearing his name. It's not all even the about time. hearing his name. You got to remember, I watch every single game. And once I started noticing that I wasn't noticing Earl Thomas, I started to pay attention to Earl Thomas. 
And yes, like I said, he's around the ball in the sense that he makes a few tackles here and there. I think he led the team this week in tackles as far as tackling goes. And that's I'm not saying he's not having any impact. So don't get this twisted and don't think that I, I, I think that, you know, Deshaun Elliott would be a better <laughs> option at this point. Like, that's not better what not I'm saying. Be saying that. I'm not saying that I'll at all. punch you in the face for that shit. <laughs> right. I'm not saying that he would be a better option. But what I am saying is this is the highest paid safety in the game right now, and he's not earning his paycheck. And when you're trying to lead and you're trying to set an example, he did not do that this week. It was a bad look for him. Okay, and that's and that's fine. Like I, I guess you know you kind of hit on it there for a little bit. I mean, the this is a new scheme. We heard when he immediately came into this this season and came into the Ravens that this is the most complex scheme. Yeah, he admitted it that he's ever seen. Yeah, and he even said exactly what I said there. He that he's but only played cover two when he was in Seattle. I'm gonna play defense for here for him a little bit. That it's not just him. No, it's, it's the not. entire defense. So my whole point to your to to breaking down your argument and and kind of I'm not going to say nullifying because I think you have really great points, but to combating your argument, mm-hmm. you have a ton of guys that are not playing coverages that they should be. They're ju- they're trying to jump routes that they shouldn't be jumping. They're trying to play up and and hit the run when it's clearly a pass. It is all over the board, all over the yeah. board. And you you have that open piece of there's things that need to be fixed. We heard from Harbs this week, yesterday, in that press conference. I'll give him a little bit of credit for this statement. This is what he said. That's not Ravens football. We're not going to do it. You know, So whatever it takes to get it fixed, we'll get it fixed. And by whatever means necessary, it's going to get fixed. And I, I think that kind of goes in line with what happened today, the the move with Tim Williams. I think Harbaugh and DaCosta are kind of putting their their new stamp on this team and saying, hey, this isn't Ravens football, and we will make changes where changes are need to be made. The only thing with that is I worry about what those replacement options are going to be. You know what I mean? I, I, again, I feel like Tim Williams was the sacrifice – you know, the sacrificial goat right. or something. I just don't feel like he was, he wasn't producing. So I'm not sad to see him go. I just, I don't know what options are out there that are going to be anything. It's anything different. Anything different. Right. Because we, we have eight sacks as a team right now. The Pittsburgh Steelers had eight sacks last night. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, let's look at the game. But we've had eight sacks in four games. Okay. Eight sacks in four games. And people wanted to blow off, oh, well, you played, you know, when we were lighting things up the first two, well, you played two amateur teams in the Dolphins and the Cardinals. Well, it goes both ways, right? We played those same teams on defense. We only had a total of eight sacks. Now, if you look at the next, I want to say, string of like six or seven games there, there are some offensive lines in there that are kind of susceptible, and maybe we'll see some help and we'll see some – uh, some increase in some pass rush, but again, this isn't this isn't a one one person or one player issue. Right. This is across the board that this defense is just playing bad football. Tony Jefferson, I got to bring him up for a second. Tony Jefferson on that Nick Chubb run. I don't know what the hell he was looking at. I'm pretty sure he had a <laughs> Ray Charles moment. This. Because uh. <laughs> I, I'm, I, he he over well beyond over pursued. He looked like he was going after the tackle on that play. I just I guess he got lost with who had the ball on that. But 
I, and it's time after time that we see this getting frustrated. To his credit, I don't think he thought the hole was that was going to be that big, but they just they drug our defensive line out and made that hole up the middle for him, and that's why he overcommitted because he was expecting him to bounce outside, not bounce up the middle. There's right. not many guys in this league that bounce up the middle. There's not many at all. Right. Nick Chubb did, and he got 88 yards out of it. I give him a little bit of credit for for seeing that, but yeah, Jefferson definitely overcommitted on that sense. Um, so. I've got to ask you because there's there's a lot that was happening with social media. They were asked about it. The Harbaugh was asked about it. He said he's keeping it inside the clubhouse. What do you make of the whole Earl Thomas, Brandon Williams situation? Because I heard I've actually heard two stories now. I've heard that Thomas dug into Brandon Williams, and I've heard Williams dug into into Earl Thomas about about his play. And that it wasn't having anything to do with Earl Tom- with uh, Brandon Williams being out, but rather Brandon Williams saying, in my absence, you need to step up, bro. And you didn't step up. I kind of agree with Bar- with Brandon Williams if that was the take. That's um, what I'm asking. I'm curious to get your take. What you've I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm not privy to the, uh, the locker room information. But here's the thing. I'm tired, again, th- th- this is just another thing I think that's kind of rubbed me wrong with the Earl Thomas stuff is – he's just been nothing but talk so far. You know, early on after he got the interception, which he was just in the right place at the right time on that Dolphins interception that he had, the one interception that he had, he started talking about, oh, I just got to get a pick a game. Want to make a pick a game. Cool. I like the confidence of it. That's cool. That was like the first comment that was just like, "Mm, whatever, he's got confidence. But then he talks about the Chiefs and he's going to stop all the big plays. Well, we saw what happened in that. He didn't stop any of the big plays in that game. Then he's, oh, well, I'm sick of all this Browns hype and blah, blah, blah. Well, we saw what happened against the Browns in that game. And then this incident with Brandon Williams. It's been like nothing but like, I don't know, just just chat, just talk. And I haven't seen shit on the football field. And that's frustrating. Well, and to, to Brian's point, Brian, Brian brought, it up, brought it up last week. We in, in Baltimore, there's always been a thing surrounding pride in the defense. And you stay in your lane. Yeah. You don't give bulletin board material. Right. That's and that's exactly what that's, he's been doing. that's never been a part of Baltimore's thing. Like, yeah, you know, Terrell Suggs, maybe occasionally in his career, he would say something here and there, you know, the whole I, Especially when he's I, younger. As he got older, he wasn't doing it as nah, much. No, he wasn't. But, you know, and, and some of the stuff that he had, the banters back and forth with Ben Roethlisberger and some of the Steelers, like it was all, it was all love because they would all shake hands after the game. It was friendly type stuff. But, like, this shit is just ignorance, in my opinion. And... He's not doing anything to back it up. And right. that's the frustrating right. part. Nobody on this defense is. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's kind of well, I, I'm gonna debate you there. Mar- Marlon Humphrey's well, been doing pretty yeah. damn good. Yeah. So let speaking of Marlon Humphrey, let's kind of get into that. What did you think of the whole OBJ Humphrey scuffle scuffles? I'm gonna put it as plural because everybody's talking about one, but there were multiple in this game. Marlon did what Marlon was paid to do, and he shut OBJ down. Yeah, well, minus the throw that OBJ tried to make. but Yeah, he (laughs) shut OBJ down. OBJ is a whiny little brat, and he gets frustrated when he feels like he's not involved or when he feels like maybe somebody's being over-aggressive on him. And I'll I'll be honest, watching it from where I was. Humphrey was over-aggressive on him. Humphreys was playing him aggressive, using his hands a lot getting away with some certain things, you know, kind of savvy vet type moves that he was getting away with. And it was frustrating OBJ and it boiled over and OBJ swung on him. And I don't give a damn who you are. If a man swings on you, you're going to react. Now, 
the whole he you know he choked him and all this go stuff. Go look at the pictures. Go again, watch people. the video. There's there's clear video that it finally he's came got out. Him, he's got him by the, yeah. the the jersey at the collar. It looks like it because he's in there, but you can see his hands grabbing. Yeah, like, he's not clenched. choking him at all. He's just holding him down. Well, Yell, yelling whatever he's yelling at him and showing his frustration, and nobody's yelling about the fact that OBJ has his has a has two fingers in his face mask, holding onto his face mask. So how that penalty is not called in the first place gets yeah. me. But then the other side of things, you had a few plays in that game where he's giving him shoves. Yeah. There's shoves on both sides. They let him, and I give credit. I actually give credit to the refs in this game. They just let the two of them play. Right, and that's and I love that part of it. And I'm fine. With the shoving and the tugging and all that kind of stuff, because that's football. It's a physical sport. It's going to be frustrating, especially when you're losing, and it's going to be frustrating when you when you're a big player like that and you feel like you're not involved, right? Right. And OBJ wasn't involved in this game. He really wasn't. It was Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb. It was everybody else but OBJ. Some freaking third string tight end I'd never heard of, Sears Jones or whatever the hell his name was. <laughs> Seals Jones. Seals yeah. Jones. Whatever. Like I mean, it was everybody else but him. Right. Agreed. I mean, that was exactly, to your point, it's exactly what you're paying Marlon to do. He did exactly what we wanted him to do. And I had no problem with that penalty. I mean, it was a that whole mess. There was like 15 flags on that play because there were fights and, and things yeah. going on everywhere. And it all squashed out to end up being nothing anyway. Right. Uh, but I had no problem with him reacting. Well, the way and, and Harv didn't seem to either. When he's asked about it in the press conference, his, his comments were simply, you know, look, you don't want the penalty in that in, in that situation. And, you know, there was a penalty that was given it on one of the plays to OBJ for something that he did to Marlon. And Marlon was smart and just backed off on that play and then came back at him. Brian, I got to ask you, anybody in the chat room chiming in with some stuff that uh, you wanted this to bring up? So one of the things that Garnett brought up is who's the bigger liability, Jefferson or Peanut? Because they both played oh, like man. crap this past week. See, I, I'm going to say Peanut. And the only reason I'm going to say Peanut is because he's playing out of position one. He's definitely not a Mike linebacker, and we had to learn that the hard way, unfortunately. And I think the communication issues are are big. I, I keep hitting on that. Like, that's huge. And if he's the mic and he's the one that's communicating, like, there's obviously a breakdown somewhere. It's the reason they it's the reason that they had Weddle calling the plays last year. It's the yeah. reason that, that the last, you know, last drive, few drives of that game that they had Jefferson calling the plays. And I think you're gonna see Jefferson calling it forward moving forward until they actually get it figured the hell out. Yeah. And so th that would be my choice is, is the, out of this. The other thing is, is, are you guys really surprised with how small our linebacking core seems to be playing right now? I mean, we're used to seeing like Ray Lewis, Terrell Suggs out there in the linebacking core, and all of a sudden, it's just speed. I mean, these guys are straight yeah. speed, and well, it, 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 it's like they can't cover, they, they can't tackle. It's just unbelievable to see these guys get ran over in the running game like they have. It's, but it's, it, that's been the more surprising part. That doesn't come with just speed. That comes with the other heel of this team the other Achilles heel of this team is the youth the youth of this team and the inexperience so to speak in defeat of this team is kind of playing a role and I think you're seeing it I think you're seeing when these guys don't know how to communicate with each other and and knowing where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be jumping routes when they're not supposed to be jumping routes when they're supposed to be you know fighting the inside let the guy find the hole then hit him in the hole that type of stuff that's the youth of this team, and that's where you need somebody. And it sucks that I'm, the play that I'm referencing there is Jefferson, and he's the veteran on the team that they're going to. But at the same time, that goes back to now you're putting a veteran that's on the back end of plays in charge of everything in front of them 
What's that going to cause him to do? I wouldn't be surprised. You see Jefferson mic'd up next week. I wouldn't be surprised you see him out of position on plays because he's trying to get everybody else set. It's going to be an adjustment period for him. But to answer your question, Brian, from my point of view, yes, I do believe size is a big factor in this. I mean, the speed only gets you so much, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we all knew what C.J. Mosley's shortcomings were in coverage, but what he brought to this team in the running game. Now, when you think back to the linebackers that throughout Ravens history, right? You can only think of three. Ray Lewis, Daryl Smith, and C.J. Mosley. All three sizable force guys against the run. Now, Ray Lewis was a little undersized, but he, was, he played big, and his strength was big. C.J. Mosley is a much bigger linebacker than C. Chris Board or uh, uh, Peanut. So size in my I think I think that's uh, a big crucial factor. Well, for don't, sure. don't leave out Bart Scott. Bart Scott when he well, was Bart here, Scott he, was he in was a middle big, linebacker. He but, was an outside. But you still still pretty good though. I'm just talking about middle. Oh, you're just talking, talking about, about middle. The mics. Yeah. yeah. Any other questions or anything out there? Uh, that's it for right now. Okay. So the other thing that I wanted to bring up, and I wanted to get your take on this because I'll tell you how I reacted. They go for two again in this game, and they go early on in this game for two. Do you like this approach, the aggressiveness, the going with the analytics type thing and, and, and taking risks? It made sense in the Chiefs game. In this game, I don't, th I don't felt like it made sense. This wasn't a game that initially you were prepared to say, at least as far as I'm concerned, that you were prepared to say, we need to be above, we need to be ahead. Rain and weather weren't a factor. There were no contributing factors here that said you needed to go for two in my eyes. Hundred percent agree. You take you take the points that you can get. You stay on. You stay the drive. I still I like the aggressiveness. It's different. It's different. I give them credit. It's different than what we're used to seeing. So I give them credit in that sense. But in in some senses, if it's if you're getting if you're going for two and you're continuously not getting it, this is now three times in a row gone for two and haven't gotten it. Now you start to kind of deflate this offense in that situation. No, they did get it. They got oh, the sorry, two in point. this one. Yes, they, they got did this get one. The two point conversion. But even still, you don't get it again. You deflate it. My my point in this was, and, and you know, you had the people on Twitter that were, well, once they got it, we'll see. We told you. And now what are you? My thing was, even when they made it, I was still frustrated that, that they went in that for game, it. That in that game, yes. I didn't think it made any sense in that point. And, it, and the fan base, none but, of the fans agreed with it because you could hear everybody booing when they lined up and the offense was still out there. The entire stadium booed. But you, you agreed you got the point after the fact. You got the point of it in the Chiefs game In the Chiefs game, once he actually put you know the explanation out there as to why he did it, it made more sense after the game. But in this game, I didn't see a reason for it. Do you it. think he's... I'm going to kind of go back to last year for a second. Do you think he's, and, and it's not just two-point conversions, but fourth downs, everything. You think he's trying to mimic Sean Payton a little bit, Sean Payton and Drew Brees, with what we saw out of them, what they came into Baltimore and did, and were successful at doing. Do you think that kind of plays a role in the aggressive? Sean Payton is, is the definition of aggressive in the NFL. Yeah, Sean Payton's always been that type of coach. But he's also got an offense that he can support it. <laughs> he he's been around forever. He knows right. that offense in and out, right? And he's well, got not just the offense, but he know he knows the players. He knows not you know the the schemes that he's running. Even if they make scheme scheme adjustments, 
he knows what's going on with those scheme adjustments. Right. And, but my point is, he's got a veteran in if Drew Brees who's leading the offense there. Lamar is still learning everything. He's still getting comfortable in things. So it's 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 just too risky in my my opinion right now. Some of the aggressiveness on fourth down, I'm okay with. The one that we went against the Chiefs on our side of the field, I didn't agree with. But other situations where it's fourth down and one, fourth down and two, Lamar can cough and get a five-yard run. I mean, he just he's he's that good and he's that physically gifted with Unless his legs. you become that predictable with it. Right. And that's the problem. And I don't want it to become something where we're so predictable that on every third down and and or every fourth down and Lamar's one we're gonna, gonna go run for a sweep it. to the left exactly <laughs> yeah so okay so i've got to ask you we're talking about lamar we mentioned lamar let's talk about lamar for a second with his numbers and lamar went 24 for 34 247 yards three tds in this game one of them in yeah time garbage time mm-hmm. uh two interceptions in this game he rushes nine times for 66 yards is this loss overall on Lamar at all? No. And this isn't me being a, a Lamar, what's Jim say, a Lamar sexual or a Lamar lover or whatever he says. What? Yeah. This, this isn't about that. If you're a realist and you watch this game, you can really easily go back and just look at the first half stats and be like, oh, my God, Lamar must have played terrible. They didn't have any passing yards in this game. If you didn't watch the game, I can understand why you would think that. But if you actually watched the game and you saw the the limited amount of time that the offense was actually on the field in the first half, and you saw the, the, the everything that kept happening to set them back. All the whoopsies. The, yeah. The lack of time that Lamar was given. Again, the offensive line played like trash in this game. All the contributing factors around him in this game affected his numbers none of no, i'm not going to say he played a perfect game because he definitely didn't there were definitely some missed opportunities some bad throws in this game and that's going to happen he's not going to be a perfect quarterback right but by no means was lamar a catalyst or a reason that they lost this game and i, I agree with you big time you know we're, we're talking about the drops you look at a guy like like andrews who's been a big target for him mm-hmm. andrews gets targeted what Eight times in this game and only catches four of them for yeah. 32 yards. One of them being a TD. Good. Great. But some of those other ones are huge. Yeah. And I think teams are starting to game plan around Mark Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown because that's been we've talked about it for a couple weeks now. That's been his primary targets. I will say in this game. Lamar did a better job of kind of trying to get other people involved, <laughs> spreading the ball around. He, you know, he threw the ball to Miles Boykin a few times. Boykin had the one touchdown in this game. He attempted to throw the ball to Chris Moore. That's another story. Um, There's so, the ball to Sneed, who has two two receptions on two targets for 61 yards and a TD. Yeah, again, one of those was in in garbage time, but nonetheless, still. still I'll take the it. The beauty part about it was we did get to see him spread the ball around. So that's a good sign. So, again, in no way, I mean, when you look at the numbers, you look at the numbers. Lamar's got over 1,100 yards passing this season. He's got 10 touchdowns on the year. His first two interceptions came in this game when he was trying to be aggressive because he had to be. And I'll be honest with you, the one interception he threw, he was throwing the ball to Mark Andrews. That DB made a hell of a play. Yeah. That pick was not on Lamar. Could he have let him a little bit further? Absolutely. But that DB, whoever the hell that was, made, a made an yeah. outstanding play on that. That's a play on the ball. So really, he's only, in my eyes, he's really only thrown one interception that he could have been a fault at. Agreed. 
All right, Scott, it's time for the liquor stop. For you fans out there, we're not done with the Ravens. After the liquor stop, we're going to get into the road to the Steelers. Yeah. Uh, this this week's Brew of the Week uh, is brought to you from Union Brewing Company. Uh, this is their Fest beer. This is their Oktoberfest lager. Uh, this beer is actually pre- it's actually pretty good at 5.6 ABB. It's a pale multi German style uh, lager. It's brewed to celebrate the fall season. You could really taste it when you're drinking it. It's light, crisp, has a little bit of sweet, smooth, like I would call it like a biscuit. Like I remind like a, like a home style biscuit. That's what it reminds me of when, I, when oh, I'm sitting yeah. here eating this thing it, it, or sitting here eating this. See, listen, I'm, I'm like eating. I'm, I'm eating my beer. <laughs> I'm eating my beer. It's that good. No, this stuff is so good. Uh, it, it tastes it's so good in the fall. It tastes great in a glass, uh, but it's also great in a can. Make sure you go check it out. The other thing, we talked about it last week, talked about the past two weeks. Go get your game day edition yeah, man. Crown Royal in the Ravens colors, jersey knit style material. It's your normal Crown Royal, but it's good. And to go along with it this week, Crown Royal is doing a tasting up there at Liquor Stop from 4 to 7 Ooh. on Friday. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop up there because I want to taste. You know, they've always got new flavors coming out. Uh, they had the peach. I'm curious to see if they come out with the salted caramel uh, like they did last year. Uh, my Shell and Tell partner found out, uh, and I didn't know this: the Apple Crown Royal, yeah, mixed with ginger ale. Fantastic. Oh, okay. Fantastic. Well, so since we're getting into the fall season, I say the salted caramel because you had it last that year. That salted caramel is amazing. And salted caramel mix, you're going to have it this year. Don't worry. Salted caramel mixed with some hot apple cider. That shit's good, man. So good. So make sure you go up there to Liquor Stop Friday from 4 to 7. They're doing the Crown Royal tasting. And make sure, Jerry told me to let all of you guys know again, if you're in for your tailgating needs, for anything you need over the coming weeks, for any Ravens game, Go to the liquor stop. Mention Birdland BS. You get 10% off your order. You can't beat it, guys. Go up there to liquor stop up on Conowingo Road in Bel Air. Check it out. All right, Scott. It's time for the road to the Steelers. I just have to point out. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. I just I just saw that our, uh, our logo is not there. Yeah, <laughs> our picture is not there. there. I don't know what's going on with our images here. Uh, there, there we go. go. Hey, hey, there we go. Hey, it's not I, my fault. I wanted to put out this image because I found it. And I, I forget the guy's name on Twitter that had it up there. Uh, Ravens fans, welcome. Steelers fans, use the back door because <laughs> you are sad. Minus your win last night. You were sad about this season if you're a Steelers fan. But Ravens fans are clamoring and happy that at least we're not the Steelers right now. Uh, well, I don't know. They're <laughs> one game behind us right now. <laughs> if they win this game, they're right there with us at right. two and three. Agreed. So the Ravens got to get the shit together. And this is going to be a test for Lamar. This is going to be his first game against in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Yeah. Well, not against Pittsburgh, oh, yeah, but in, in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Uh, this will be his first matchup there at Heinz Field in that hostile environment, playing on that, you know, that, re- that real grass turf and – um, you know, it's going to be a good test to see how he rebounds, see how the team rebounds around him. Uh, but like we've mentioned a million times, the, the defense has got to step up. If rookie, well, I guess he's not a rookie this year, but new starting quarterback <laughs> yeah. Mason Rudolph throws for 300 yards against us, I might jump off a bridge. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, man, that Mason Rudolph throws for over 300 yards against us. I, uh, 
It's going to be one of those. It's one of those offenses that's going to frustrate the hell out of you. He might have to throw for three hundred yards because Connor is apparently coming. You know, might be injured. He's right now. He's he's listed yeah, as questionable. He's got a banged up ankle. Uh, last night. So as far as that's care, he might be throwing the ball a lot, and he doesn't exactly have the the. He's got Juju Smith to throw it to. Vance McDonald is fighting injury each week. He's been questionable every single week. So the these guys. If he throws for 300 yards, it's actually even worse than it sounds yeah. because he's doing it with with backup receivers, backup tight ends. You know, the number two guys, you know, outside of Juju, number two, number three guys that would be beating us for 300 yards. That's absolutely unacceptable. And the problem that I see here with this Steelers game is they're everything that gives the Ravens problems. And what I mean by that is they're a dink and dunk type Agreed. offense. Agreed. They're going to dump the balls off to the, the the running backs out of the backfield. A lot of different screen passes. These are things that the Ravens have not been playing good against on defense. Well, I don't know if you saw last night, too. Mason Rudolph, at the end of every drive, Ben's right there with him. Oh, yeah. And they're talking about it. Right. I, From a football standpoint, from as being a football fan, I, I give a lot of credit there. Yeah. Because there was a lot of questions in Pittsburgh of how he would embrace Mason and he wasn't playing for his job last year. Da, da, da. Well, if He's you remember right. in the beginning when the Steelers drafted Rudolph, Roethlisberger oh. was pretty upset because they figured, why are we wasting a draft pick on a quarterback right now? We should have used it on something else. Now it's looking like the smart move. <laughs> just, I mean, just what they could have done. Right. But at the same time, you know, to, to Ben is not a non-factor in this game. It, it's He's going to coach Mason through this game. He's going to coach him through the fact this is going to be a physical game. This is going to be a tight game. These guys are going to bum rush you like crazy. They're going to do everything they can to get to you. You need to be mobile when you can, which he was last night in that game. That was the surprising thing to see out of him was he wasn't just a pocket a pocket passer. He was able to be mobile and throw on the run, much like we've seen out of his predecessor at times. Right. So he has Ben Roethlisberger for his tutelage and how to potentially compete against the Ravens and potentially beat the Ravens to your point. The dink and dunk has always been what's what's gotten them through these games against us. And I think in this games, a couple of big things that I want to see is one. I got I want to see Brandon Williams back out there. That's crucial to this defense yes. uh, being able to stop the run, whether it's Connor or whether it's Samuels, whoever it is, it's running the ball. Samuels didn't do bad when he Connor kind of went down. yesterday. He didn't do bad at all. And that's what I'm saying. We need Brandon Williams out there. And then the second thing is, look, if this defense is this confused, this lost out on the field, and it's this difficult to understand concepts and whatnot, get back to the basics. Agreed. Get back to some of the fundamental concepts of football, things that you've been taught since day one, these exotic plays and these exotic disguises and whatnot, as cute as it's been for years, if you don't have the player personnel to execute and you're giving up 500 yards a game. What do you have to lose at this point by going back to the basics and playing what got you here? And I think I think that's what we heard out of the presser a little bit. Again, this is that credit, the only credit that I'm giving to to, to John on that presser yesterday is the fact that you know the any means necessary that he thinks they were overcommitting on plays. They're, they, they he basically said they need in not so few words he said they need to get back to basics yeah he said they need to to really wrap up and tackle we heard that out of jefferson in his post-game interview that they just really need to go through and tackle peanut said the same thing so it's to your point all the things that they're saying that they need to do is getting back to the basics yeah 
That's what you, you wrap up the guy. Stop him at the line. Don't try and be punching the ball. Don't try and for the in, interception all the time. Fundamental football 101. Play press coverage, but don't you don't need to be biting looking for the interception out of Thomas or Jefferson in that case. You need to be playing to play the defense that's going to either get you the tip, get you to stop the play, or get you to tackle, tackle the guy as soon as he gets the ball. One yeah. of the three. And then on the offensive side of the ball, I, I want to see a continued commitment to the run. Obviously, that's what, that's what we're built around. I'm hoping that Harbaugh forgives and forgets on this one fumble that Ingram is because Ingram is a he man. He damn well. He is a man out on that football field. It, yeah, that play was crucial in that game, and I told you I thought it had a big impact on the momentum in that game. But don't let him be in the doghouse for too long over this. Get him back out there on the field. He's too crucial to this offense. Uh, Ryan, my buddy Ryan and I were sitting up there talking about it. I mean, when he gets the ball in his hands, he is so decisive with his running. He doesn't he doesn't hesitate. He doesn't wait for this or wait for that or wait for a better option. He hits the hole and he hits it hard and he's taking it at five to seven yard clips. Yeah. On a regular every basis. time he touches the ball. You need to commit to that because it does one of two things. One, it's going to continue to move chains. And two, it's going to control the time of possession, which is even more crucial now this year than it was last year because what do you want to do? You want to keep your damn defense on the sideline because they're playing like total ass. Yeah, no, you have to keep them off the field. You can't let them you can't let them get out there and be warned. You need them as much time to look over their look over the plays, look at that damn surface as much as they can, readjust as much as they can. You need to give them time. And to your point, that's gonna be a huge thing. Because they on their side, you know, you kind of mentioned this pre-game or pre-show is that they cannot let Mason Rudolph, the deep from a defensive standpoint, look like a goddamn Hall of Famer out no, there. No, that's what can't, I'm saying. You can't do it, and the only way that you're going to do that is to have Lamar give Lamar the time that he needs. To your point, and you have to really work within your your spectrum. If the run game is working, don't abandon it. Right. Ingram had 12 carries in this game. They, they, 12. They had to abandon the run game in the third quarter in the in the Browns game because they were playing catch-up. My point is, when this game starts, stick to what's working, and the running game is working, I, and the running game is going to control time of possession, which I get then your helps play, your defense. I get in that sense you're playing catch-up, but in that sense, I'm going to go back on that for a second because if that's what's working, yes, it's going to take time, but are you worried about time or are you worried about getting downfield? Because if I'm worried about getting downfield... I'm putting what's getting me getting me yardage out there. That's Mark Ingram right now. Yeah. Mark Ingram's the guy getting me downfield. And the more I put him out, then as we get closer, now I can take a shot because now they're expecting I've just been charging down the field. At some point I'm gonna have to. So either they're gonna do one of two things. They're gonna either gonna bite back and they're gonna play the pass game and give Ingram more room, or they're gonna bite up knowing that Ingram's coming and you do a play play action run and or uh play action pass and you actually get the ball downfield to Hollywood or Boykin or Snead or whoever it may be on a good play. That's what you need to do. All right. So let's talk a little bit about this game then. I don't think I, I hate the whole this is a must win game, but we're gonna get to the Terps later because the Terps are in a must win situation. <laughs> I hate that way phrase. to be cliche. I, I do. I hate that phrase is must win game. So I'm not going to use it, but this is a very, very important game for many reasons for the Ravens, right? It's a pivotal game. It's a pivotal game. Pivot! Pivot! I, I want to see I want to see this team come out and rebound. I want to see the defense start getting some confidence about themselves. I want to see communication cleaned up. 
I don't want to see stupid mistakes. I do not want to see missed tackles in this nope. game. If we get beat lined up 11 to 11 and they beat us fair and square, I can swallow that pill. I cannot swallow the pill when we beat ourselves. And that's what we did against the Browns. We yeah. beat ourselves in that game. Baker Mayfield didn't beat us. Nick Chubb didn't beat us. Jarvis Landry didn't beat us. We beat ourselves. Yeah, to, and to your point, you talked about this talk about this pre-show. You got to stick to the play calls. You can't be making the adjustments, and I've alluded to it throughout the show. You can't be jumping routes. And that's what we heard out of the out of the guys post game was they were jumping routes. And you need to you need to step up. You need to do that. Okay, so flat out. Who you got in this game? What's the score? It's gonna I think it'll be a traditional Raven Steelers game, even though there's nothing traditional about these rosters anymore. Right. But we're still talking Raven Steelers. It's untraditionally traditional. Yeah. We're still talking Raven Steelers, and we're still talking it's it's a game in Pittsburgh. So I have it as a relatively low scoring game. Uh I do think the Ravens will clean it up, and I do think that they'll win this game, but it'll be close, and I think it'll be nineteen seventeen. Okay, I'm not far off. I've got I've got the Ravens winning this well. Same thing, 24-17 Ravens in this game for me. Brian, who do you got in this game? I've got the Ravens as well. I got 21-14, and I think you're really going to see the uh, run game really step up here with a lot of Hill and Gus and uh, Ingram this game. I think right. They've got to. Well, before we sign off with the Ravens, any other comments out there, anything that uh, you wanted to bring up? So a lot of people were complaining about Earl Thomas. Go figure. And uh, <laughs> I, I was I was waiting. Social to, uh, media complain about Earl Thomas. What? I was, I was waiting for you guys. Calm down, just to get you guys back up. Do you think maybe signing Earl Thomas is a big mistake with the amount of money they've given him? It's way, it still- way too early to say it's a big mistake. I'm not going to hold my tongue, and I'm not going to say, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This guy is a Pro Bowl player. Right. He, you know, many want to regard him as a future Hall of Fame player through four games. He's looked average. He has not looked like the Earl Thomas that he was in Seattle. Okay, so I'm going to bring up I'm going to bring up a point here, but I don't regret the signing by no means. Not yet. I'm going to bring up a point here, and I'm curious, just kind of alluding into that. Is this a result of him coming off the injury? We haven't talked. We haven't really talked about that. No, a whole lot. I do think that the injury might be playing a factor in conditioning and overall speed and things like that. Uh, but Earl Thomas was Earl Thomas because of his instincts, and breaking his leg didn't do anything like that. And he's a ball hawking. This is what we all heard right. about, and this is all everything that we knew. Well, we about heard Earl, about it about Seattle. About Earl it's, Thomas. What we, it's what we expect. watch any of his highlights in Seattle. That's what he was. He was a right. ball hawking. True rangy free safety. I've yet to see that. But is he not that anymore because of the injury? I'm not saying he's not that anymore. I'm asking that. I, I'm saying is that a, is that a potential no. reason we're seeing this that, that he can't be in position anymore because he's he's recognizing to that point he pulled off that play. He pulled off. He that pulled off that run. play because well he, he knew he wasn't going to get him. Period. Right. He knew he wasn't going to get him. He made a poor decision. And they made a poor decision to make a comment about it yeah, well. after the game and say what he said after the game. Again, that's my problem with this is the is the, the talking. Anyway, any other comments out there? And I'm sorry to have to bring this up, but uh, Joe Carlozo saying he cannot wait for Turtle Talk for some odd reason. Oh, sorry to jump ahead, but <laughs> I had to get well, that Well, we're going to go there. <laughs>
We completely forgot to give the rest of our predictions real quick. Real oh, quick yeah. Run, I will run Let's down. do the run Real down. quick rundown. We've got Thursday Night Football, Rams 3-1, and one, Seattle 3-1. and one. Who do you got in this game? I got Seattle at home. I think they win this game 24-21 in a close one. Brian, who do you got? I got the Rams 24-21. All right. I got the Rams as well. I got this being a little bit higher scoring game, but still close. 35-33 in this game. Sunday Night Football. We got the 2-2 two and two Colts going into Kansas City to take on the 4-0 Chiefs. Okay. The Chiefs looked beatable <laughs> against the Lions. Well, let's look at this. I don't think any of us are taking <laughs> the Colts in this Clean game. Clean sweep. We all three take the Chiefs. So I got what's them, everybody score? Right? I got them 42-24. I got it high scoring. What do you got? 34-17. Uh, I got it 28-17. So we're all right there. All Finally, right. Monday Night Football. How the hell did the Browns get a third primetime game? What the because F is going on? they were on? the paper Super Bowl are, champs. Yep. This was created before they were that. Let's no, just no, no. This was they. Yeah. They, just, they didn't have all the pieces when this when this was created. Yeah, they had yeah, they Beckham did. and they, yeah, they had everybody. Yeah, that's why they put them prime time, man. Pretty I didn't sure. think it was. I didn't think I didn't think they had Beckham yet. Uh, so we got Browns two and two, 49ers three and zero oh, coming off a of bye week in San Francisco. Brian, who do you got in this game? I got the Browns. I'm not completely sold on the Niners yet, Woo. so. Go 49ers, go. (laughs) Yeah, I'm right there with you. 49ers for me, 30 to 21. Who do you get? What's the score, Fred? 27 20. And you had 24 14 Browns? 14. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. Now it's time for some turtle talk. (laughs) Try to do a good segue. Oh, man, as we go from one shit show into another. <laughs> yeah, right. Worse. Yeah, this one this one was brutal. As I mentioned, we uh, got down there. We did the whole tailgating thing early before the game. I got. The, I think we got down to the stadium probably around like 3.15 for a uh, 7.30 kickoff. So, I mean, we had a few hours to, to get it in prior to the game. <laughs> and uh, we had a good time. You know, there was a lot of uh, Penn State fans down there in the in the lot tailgating, and we were kind of trolling hold some on, of them on. prior to the I game. Gotta, I got to address that comment. It wasn't just a lot. It was almost one half of the stadium. No, no, dude. If you if you were for there, the, all right. For, you were there, so I'll let you. Yeah. I'll let you go off on it. So, for the pictures that I was seeing, and from everything they were showing on on TV, the entire Penn State side, from end zone to end zone, white. No, nah, so the one red shirt I saw was. Somebody that was probably in your party because everybody else. Well, you guys wear black, so it's close <laughs> enough. But uh, uh. No, so okay, and that that was one of my points about this game was that you know, we had talked about the fan support and where the fans going to show up. There were over fifty three thousand fans sell out. For it. Nice, yeah. It, it was nice. one of the largest crowds. S- student I, section showed up. Yeah, I mean everybody showed up for this game. And I will say, yes, there was definitely a sea of white, but I've seen a lot worse as far as visiting fans. And considering this was Penn State, it was right up the street. I would say it was probably 70-30. Really? 70% Maryland fans, 30%. Wow, okay. Okay. Cameras and TVs, when they focus in on sections and groups, it can be deceiving. I saw a shot from the the end zone opposite of the, uh, the Jumbotron. And it looked, and it I, looked like straight white down that line. And, and that's the way it's set up, right? So we sit in section seven. It's on the right. visiting side. So we're like the oddballs in that group. But it was, it was, I would say 65-45 would be the okay. worst I would go. But I would say 70-30 Terp fans. Uh, and it was loud for about five minutes. <laughs> 
I say they got quieted uh, down it, it, really quickly. It was quickly. quieted down real quick. Why they do I have up, a feeling that uh, our Terps Viesper was not quiet the entire game? Oh, uh, no. He was pretty quiet because, uh, I mean. Holy. Pence Moly. Brian was quiet. Penn what? State shut us up. What did we have to run our mouth Jeez. about? Shocking. And I'll be honest with you. Again, Penn State fans, we, we sat around a whole bunch of them. I had a few of them that I was talking to in front of me. Uh, very respectful. Very, like. You they know, knew no, you. They're in your. They're in your house. Yeah, so like they. They respected everybody. They well, not your house. They weren't you're an Ohio State fan, but <laughs> <laughs> the only time, and we said this on the uh, on the Shell Intel uh, episode that we did, the only time that the students, the Penn State students, kind of made a scene was like towards, uh, when they went in the yeah the towards the end of the game. They took over like the student section, and then they, they got kicked there, out, and then they end up getting <laughs> kicked out, and then they come down and sit by us. And they're, you know, they're starting all the chants and all that stuff. But they're college kids being college kids, so I can respect that. And we would have done the, the same, same shit thing. in their stadium, so I'm not going to give them crap for that. But, uh, look, 60, 619 yards. Total offense. <laughs> total offense up? in this game. They end up losing 59 zip. 59 to nothing. Well, but it wasn't just the defense. When your offense as a whole surmounts 128 yards in college football, I mean, come on. Josh Jackson is hot garbage. He He's looked hot like it. Garbage. He looked like it. I, you know, and we've had this debate, Ryan, and I've talked about it, whether it's just straight up Jackson or whether, you know, it's Scotty Montgomery, the offensive right. coordinator, or if it's a combination of both. Because they did bring Piggy out for two drives in this game, and he went three and out in his two drives. Uh, so I'm interested to see if there is a change in this upcoming game, this next game. I don't think it'll be a change to start the game, but I think if Josh continues to go down this path in that first half, you may see Piggy come in and start the second half. But I think to, to your point, I, I, I don't think it's just Josh. And I'm going to give credit to our buddy who is, he likes Maryland, but he's more of a Penn State fan, Joe Carlozo. Yeah. He, him and I were texting back and forth during that game. How do you spell that? Yeah, right. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> C-A-R-L-O-Z-O. Got it. Okay. Uh, but I'll give him credit on this statement. He said Maryland, especially the run game, got shell-shocked. Yeah, they did. When you look at this run game, the run game as a whole, you had Ant McFarland held to 24 yards mm -hmm. on nine carries. Yep. You have Fleet Davis, 12 yards on five carries. And then Leak, 10 yards on six carries. Yep. No offense able to be surmounted on either side, pass game or run game. Penn State watched the Temple footage, watched the Temple tape, and said, we're going to make Josh Jackson beat us. Josh Jackson looked like hot trash he couldn't in the get Temple out of the game, and they said the only strength that Maryland has on offense right now is their stable of running backs. Who has been depleted now by injuries? Jake Funk went down with an ACL. Right. So now they've only got a couple of options back there in the backfield. So you know what? They're going to have to beat us with the run game, or they're going to have to beat us with Josh Jackson because we're shutting the run game down. We're loading the box. And that's what they did. Right. They had nine in the box, eight in the box all game long. And McFarlane, Leak, I mean, and Tavon Fee Davis, nobody had any room to go anywhere. Yeah, and to your point with Jackson, Jackson 10 for 21 for 65 yards with two interceptions. Yeah, say that again. 65 Five yards. In 21 pass attempts. It's just, it's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah. That's I, what? In, 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 10 actual, in 10 actual yards, you were getting less than 6.5 yards per reception. Yeah. 
that's a run game number. Right. That's not a passing game number. Yep. Not to mention the two interceptions he's thrown, one horrible timing. One, he didn't even he didn't even hit his receiver. Right. He hit Penn State right in the chest. Yep. And so that whole piece of him being hot garbage, it's all there. Piggy goes one for three in his passing attempts. You know, because a lot of when he was out there, they were trying to go back to the run game. Right. Uh trying to force them to to do it. But overall overall, this game, I got a simple question for you. Who was worse in this game? The Terps offense or the Terps defense giving up 59 points in this game and getting called for some, well, the one call, I'll give it, give them credit, give them credit. It was a BS targeting call. Oh, yeah. But overall, the defense exactly didn't play the greatest football we've ever seen out of them either. The answer is C, all of the above. There, I mean, I'm not going to point the finger at one versus the other. Both looked terrible. The only bright spot in this game, if you can find any ray of sunlight in this game at all, was freshman Nick Cross, the safety. Yeah, the he made a hell of an interception. He read it. He read his eyes. Was it was a good throw. It wasn't anything. You know, he didn't use his his hands or anything. He didn't do anything to get leverage. He went up after a ball and made a grown man pick against a quarterback who was having a hell of a day. This kid, Clifford. Mm-hmm. The sophomore, we talked about him last week. I said the two guys that they needed to worry about and keep an eye on were the two sophomores, Clifford and uh, Hamler, yeah. the wide receiver. And these two guys tore it up. Clifford goes 26 to 31 for 398 yards, three touchdowns, and he threw the one pick again that Nick Cross made. Yeah, I mean, it was it was he was playing ridiculous ball, and you brought up the other guy, Hamler. Here's what he did to us. They come back. He goes over the middle. Hamler's got a 50. Breaks a tackle far side, 45. He's got Dotson in front of the 30. Makes a move to the 25, 20. Far corner, 10, 5. Touchdown, Penn State. 58 yards, and the Nittany Lions are on the board again. And, and again, again. And, and again, again. And, and again. And again. Yeah. All night long, Penn State scoring. It got so bad, like... Thank God I was drunk. <laughs> I mean, because honestly, I would so not. So Junk Fred isn't angry, Fred. That's good to know. That's good information. I was happy-go-lucky <laughs> even in the situation that it was because if I wouldn't have been, I would have been angry, Fred. I wouldn't have been able to enjoy myself, but I had a great time with the people I was with. I even had fun with some of the people, even though they were trolling the hell out of me, and I realized yeah, it later. Sure. <laughs> I had fun with some of the Penn State fans that were in front of me taking pictures with me on Snapchat and all. I was the poor the down and depressed, you know, Terps. You were down as depressed as this guy up in the corner with a damn, with a damn no, bag on his I, head. I wasn't that bad. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, it, it was a debacle. And now they got to go on the road and face one of the one of the bottom dwellers in the Big Ten in Rutgers. Rutgers is 1-3 on the year. I don't know. Obviously, the Terps are going to be heavily favored in this game just because Rutgers, they're a hot mess. I mean, they've... I, th- I want to say they gotten shut out twice this year. I mean, yeah, they, I mean, they, they are a hot man. But all right, so I'm going to ask you this because this played. There are some fa- some fans and some people that are saying that there there was something that played a little bit of role. They just fired their head coach too, if I'm not mistaken. I did not hear that. I think they we'll just fired the, their head coach. Like, tell, tell I'm Ryan, pretty sure tell we Ryan got to the, get on that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we got the news like during the Ravens game. Our Trump's BS word is probably chiming in right about now to give us that answer. Um, but before we get into that, there's some there's some people that were were saying part of this loss could be felt 
with not having DJ Turner playing. And we were yeah. questioning what was happening. Why wasn't he playing? Where the hell is he? And after the game, we hear from Coach Locks that that previous Friday during the bye week, DJ Turner had a DUI. And that's why he didn't play in this game. Yeah, and Locks made the right decision by not playing him in this game. Look, a college kid did a college kid thing, right? He went out on his bye week. This is what Ryan actually made this point, so credit out to Ryan, and I'm going to use his point because it was it was very valid and, and a good point. College kid went out and got drunk on a bye week. A legal age college, college kid. kid went out and got drunk on a bye week. No problem with that at all. I've got no issues with that at all. He just made a bad decision. The issue was getting behind the wheel of the car. As a college athlete, you are privied to coaches and staffing that are on call at all times that will come get you. And this was an on-campus right. he situation. He could have said, he, he literally could have said, a locks. Uh, I can't make home. Can you come get me? And Locks, anybody. Locks is, even if it's Locks, Locks is getting in his car and going and getting DJ Turner. Period. Anybody would have come and gotten this kid. And then, obviously, with all the technology that we have now with Lyft and Uber, there were so many options. That's where he Just made a poor, a, a poor decision. And uh, rightfully so. And, and Brian is of the mindset, and, and I, he could be right. He thinks DJ Turner's played his last down at Maryland. Really he thinks that this yes because wow. I don't know if you remember a couple years ago there was a uh, there was a recruit that the the Terps were recruiting and he got busted stealing like ice cream and a candy bar from a store and they nixed everything on a recruit like that because because of that this is a DUI situation where there was another player that had a DUI years ago that they disciplined Maryland is pretty much a a no tolerance uh, especially with. The situation that they're dealing with right now, making sure Agreed. that they're yeah, following protocol. You're walking a fine line. That, yeah. yeah, right. So I think Ryan's point is valid. I don't know. I think it's, if I'm being honest, I think it's a little harsh. I, I actually think, you know, and my question was going to be, and my question, I'd love to talk with Ryan about this. We'll mm-hmm. have to get him on at some point. Yeah. Is is Lox's style, are we seeing, I, I like it. I, I personally do. But there's a lot of people jumping on the social media bandwagon that the loss to Temple, the loss to Penn State, the DUI with Turner is a reflection of the lax style and the players coach style that Lox has with these guys. It's the the lax, you know, you can you're good, we're a team, have fun, all that stuff. Are they? Is it taking? Is this a result of that? Are they taking the have fun too far? Is it you know, or, or is this just a, a not issue? Is this just a, a situational? I don't think. I don't think Locks is a lax coach. I think using the word that he's a lax coach is is inaccurate. I do think he's a, a family type coach. He's a guy that that wants everybody to be a collective unit, but he's a worker and he holds guys to a standard and he holds guys to an expectation. I don't think that has anything to do with it. I think there's there, there's a lot of issues that we're now seeing, right? So this offensive line, we just we lost two pieces, two huge pieces to the NFL last year. Right. Right? And the replacement pieces that we have in line, which were Durkins at one point, Durkins recruits, right. they're now getting playing time 
and they're nowhere near. That's not the, the same caliber the, of play. They're not the same caliber, I will say. And this is, and again, another point Ryan and I were talking about. Randy Etzel, these guys that were on the offensive line last year were some of the recruits from Etzel's time. There's not a whole lot of positive you can say about Randy Etzel's time here in Maryland. The one thing that you can say was somehow he knew how to recruit offensive linemen. He was pretty good at that. Now we're in seeing this game. I'll of, say that was a little debatable because they were letting no, they no, were no. Letting I'm Penn saying State get to that's what I'm saying. That's the okay. problem. Edsel's recruits are now gone. Okay, I see. Now what you're we're seeing gotcha. Durkin's recruits that are getting playing time, and we're seeing the level of competition or the level of production drop off severely on the offensive line. Okay, I think people put their eggs all in one basket on Josh Jackson and we jumped the gun on the excitement with Josh Jackson in those first two weeks. I think it speaks volumes to how bad or how ill-prepared Syracuse was when we played them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because for us to do what we did against Syracuse for against Howard, it's Howard. It was kind of expected, maybe not quite that much, but it was expected to blow Howard out. It was not expected to blow out Syracuse. So that speaks more to them. Because I think more along the lines of what we've seen these last two weeks with Josh Jackson is the real Josh Jackson. Well, as you say, do you think it's that, or do you think it's do you think it's them getting a little too cute with the schemes and with the, with the the play calling there? You know, especially uh, especially with the run game being shut down, you're trying to get cute with it. You're trying to get the you're trying to get these shots that you you're not your quarterback doesn't have time for. I don't think they're cute at all on offense. If anything, okay. I think they're pretty damn vanilla. I think, okay. that they, I think that they have been pretty vanilla and they've been too uh, repetitive. And I think that they've, they've, they've like using McFarland as, as great of a back as McFarland is, using him on the same type of runs over and over and right. over again, it's not doing anything or it's not being beneficial for this offense. Right. Okay. So getting back to the Rutgers game, Maryland's heavy, heavily favored in this game. And I used the analogy, they got Super Mario'd into this game because they. They they just got jumped on and then kicked off. Yeah. That's that's how they that's how they're handling this game. They need to they need to really kind of come back from it. So my question to you: Can this defense recover, or did Penn State just give everybody the playbook to this to this Maryland offense or to, yeah to this Maryland? Uh, I I think Temple and and Penn State both laid out a pretty detailed blueprint on how you beat this team. Okay. Um, I don't know if Rutgers has the personnel and then with the coaching staff changes and whatnot to 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 beat us. I still think that we go into Rutgers and we win that game. Damn sure we better win that game. <laughs> because if we don't, if we're trailing and we're trailing decent in the second half, at that point I start thinking about the future. Because at that point, the season for me is pretty much a wrap. We talked about it earlier, you know, with Harbaugh's comments that you know, it's not a one-game do-or-die situation. College football is very, very different in that right. sense because you're only playing 12 games in a season, right? Right. So one loss here and there can make a difference of whether you go to a bowl game or not, any kind of a bowl game. Agreed. Right now, with them already having two losses on the year, if they're going to go into Rutgers and lose a third game with the schedule that they got remaining, they're not making a bowl game. There's nowhere that they're going to make up those losses. No, I agree. So, right, I, so I start looking towards the future and start seeing what you have. So to avoid that, what is it that they need to do during, in this game? What do they need to do for this game moving forward? I think personally they need to make a change. They need to make Piggy the starter. That's what I want to see. Really? Okay. I want to see Piggy and see a difference because I don't think 
we're, we're going to see more of the same from Josh Jackson. Maybe we'll see a little bit more production because we're going against a lesser opponent, but I feel like we know what we have in Josh Jackson. We really don't know what we have in Piggy in this offense. Right. We've in seen this in, in this in this setup, we don't know what we have in him. And while we still have a chance at potentially making a run at the bowl, making a run at a bowl game, give him a shot as a starter and see how he does in this offense. That's what I would like to see. Okay. I think they got to reestablish the run game. That's really the only other thing they I think they need to do. But the only way that they can do that is if if they can have you got to have balance. I say they got to be able to have a threat. If if teams are going to load the box and make your quarterback beat you, Josh Jackson hasn't proven to me that he can. And you don't you don't need to necessarily beat him. I think Josh Jackson, to your point, kind of he looks more towards the wide receivers a lot. Don't forget you got a tight end core here that's not bad at all. Yeah. This is a pretty good tight end core that we've we've seen. So I, I definitely think they can handle it. I do think that Maryland goes in there and they end up winning this game. I do have it kind of low scoring for a college game or some of the games that we've seen of recent. I've got the Terps winning this 27-17. Okay, I wouldn't be far off. I'd be about 30-21 to 21 is where I was thinking. So. All right. All right, guys, time for some bros, bows, and o's as the Orioles wrap up their season series with a win in Fenway. Hallelujah. <laughs> The year is over. End the season 54 and 108. Hey, oh, seven games better than they were last year. That that that's one of these. I think you were looking for that. Yeah. <laughs> they end up outscoring Boston 17 to 10 in this series. So in three games, they give up 10 runs. So a little over three, three runs a game. It's pretty good considering what this pitching staff has been. For yeah, I mean, considering what's been 9. going on, 9.9 tenths of the season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, considering what's been going on, it's ha I'm happy to see it. You know, you see things in this series like Nunez hitting his 30th home run of the year. Great play for Nunez. And it was a, did you see that shot? It was a yeah. freaking laser off yeah. the light post out that, there. That guy's got a bat, man. And you know, the other thing I thought was kind of cool was I don't know the last, I can't think of the last player to get 40 steals in a season for the Orioles. Was it? Was it Roberts? Like I, I it might have been Roberts. I'd have to look yeah. that up. Brian, you might have to look that up for us because yeah. Jonathan Villar did it. Jonathan Villar got his 40th steal in this in, in this series. I thought that was pretty impressive for a guy that, like, for me, when they brought him over last year, I, I was kind of scratching my head. You know, didn't understand the move at the time because they were unloading pieces and whatnot. Right. I didn't, I didn't understand it. But you know what? He's been one of the bright lights on this roster this year. I was kind of surprised that no teams came knocking, or if they did come knocking, that nobody really anted up enough well, we didn't to entice yeah. yeah, to entice Elias to make a deal on him because I thought he'd have been a good acquisition for somebody making a playoff run, well, especially what he can bring and just in, in versatility. He can play multiple positions in the right. infield. He brings the speed on the base paths, and he has a decent bat. He's Why a, wouldn't yeah, he He's a decent leadoff hitter. You know, we saw some some – base running mistakes throughout, but that's because he's aggressive. Yeah. And I like that. You know, that's what we see out of a guy that's got 40, 40 steals is definitely aggressive. You know, and we talked about Nunez on Friday getting his 30th. Yeah. Well, he hits another one on Saturday, gets his 31st. And that same day, we have Mancini, who it's his 35th of the year. Right. So the, the bats are connecting. They're starting to come together. Uh, you also, in that Saturday game, you saw uh, Martin make a great defensive play. He climbs the ladder, gets up there. I, I swear that he had to have been, he had to have been able to touch a, a 10-foot rim. It was a beautiful play, but the play of the year may have Sunday. been this. 
That ball is tagged right field back warning track at the wall up and oh he caught it he caught it unbelievable catch Stevie Wilkerson one of the greatest catches you will ever see if you haven't seen it yet because I know many of you out there in Birdland probably aren't even paying attention to the Orioles and have probably checked out for the majority of the year. <laughs> yeah, man. Get on to the Orioles website or go on MLB's website and look at this play. Definitely one of the best catches I've I ever mean, seen. I mean, he was given play of the week, and there's arguments for him that, that there are many national media people out there making the argument that this is the play of the year coming on game 162. This catch, I mean, he goes up over the wall. Now, granted, the wall out there is about four and a half, five feet tall, but he goes up over the wall. His entire body, almost minus his knees, makes it up over the wall. He comes down, ribs first into that corner, rotates, and then puts his foot, has the wherewithal to put his foot on the shorter wall that's like yeah. two and a half feet tall. And kick off that. He came in. He was so excited. He forgot how many outs there were and throws it in and makes like a little hop. I was like, oh, shit, he's hurt. He's hurt because he was hopping. Right. But it was a, he was, it was just a so hop. excited. It was a hop because he was he threw the ball in, but he realized, oh, shit, that was a third out. Right. Awesome. But so, yeah, hell let, of a play. Let me ask you this. Right. So there's a lot of a lot of excitement. Oh, Brady Anderson was the last one with over 40 steals. He had 53 and 92. Good pull there, Brian. So it had been a long time since <laughs> yeah, somebody sold over 40 bases. I, when I saw that stat, I'm like scratching my head. I was like really trying to think. I'm like, who the hell was the last Oreo to have 40? There's been plenty that have had 20, but 40, I'm like, ah, I can't think anybody. I would have, I would have, my guess would have either been Brian Roberts or Delino to Shields. Right, right. Yeah, well, Delino had a few good He, years had, he had some speed. But let me ask you this going back to the outfield, right? So we've seen. A lot of excitement on the latter half of the year in the outfield with um, Austin Hayes and Stevie Wilkerson. Let me present a situation for 2020. Okay. Do we see an outfield of Anthony Santander, Austin Hayes, and Stevie Wilkerson, and then bringing Mancini permanently into first if Chris is let go this offseason? I I'm ex I would be excited to watch that. I think. I would definitely be excited. I, I definitely like it. Uh, I think the, the result of the season comes out of what you plan to do with Dwight Smith Jr. Um, I do. I think he should come back next year. I mean, it's it's iffy. He's he's. I could see Wilkerson and Dwight being platooning. a platoon. I think Santander really proved to he me. He needs to stay in left field. He plays left field way better than any he's other a, position. He's a, he's a very good left fielder, and his bat is major league. Like His oh, yeah. bat is ready now, and he's he's done. Re I mean, it's just been remarkable. Since the, since the break, he has, he has he, I think he's like top 10 or top 15 in batting average and uh, extra base hits. Credit to Dan Duquette for one of the, the good things that you yeah. actually did before you left was bringing him in and, and hanging on to him. Uh, because he's proven to be valuable. But I think that outfield, just the energy that they bring. The excitement they have. You saw a Hayes in the catch of the year. Right. What we were calling the catch of the year last year, last week. Right. And now you have Stevie making another one. It's it's almost like a game of one-upsmanship between the two of them exactly. right now. And, and, and with these... With the next couple of years, knowing that we're not going to be in contention for a playoff, right? You got to start looking for small wins outside of winning a division or winning Agreed. playoff games, right? So steps in the right direction. Steps in the right direction. And I think that that puts a pretty damn, I guess, entertaining product in your outfield. 
I do think we see Adley Rutschman come up in September of next year. So you th- just think about that, right? So if you've got Adley Rutschman at catcher, Trey Mancini at first, Villar at second, I do think Richie Martin ends up going down, and I think he'll develop a little bit more in AAA. I love his glove. His bat's just not ready yet. Agreed. And I think now that we he's past the Rule 5 stage and all of that, we'll see him develop more and Agreed. learn a little bit more down Agreed. in AAA. And then you, you have Nunez at third, and then the outfield that we talked about, offensively, I think it's a very capable offense. Defensively, I'm excited about so that. So where did you say Alberto fits into that? Alberto's the DH. We're going to do with Chris Davis. That's what I said. Chris, so this is this is okay. a scenario, scenario with Chris okay. Davis being, he gone, he gone, riding high and sitting fat on stacks of money like fucking Darkwing Duck or whatever <laughs> his name was. <laughs> Ducktails. Scrooge McDuck. So, so you're all about the idea of Austin Hayes staying up here yes. and, and then 100%. letting him develop at this level. 100%. Not pulling a Cedric Mullins and sending him down right away. I haven't seen anything in Austin Hayes' game so far that worries me like it did with Cedric Mullins. Okay, okay. Now, I got to bring this up, kind of moving right along here, uh, because we mentioned his name with steals in a season. This week, the news that we three have been clamoring for all year. Mm-hmm. All year. When is Brady done with this organization from a standpoint of contract? Whatever the hell his role is, what's his role? And when is Who he gone? The hell knows. Better late than never. Now he's gone. Better late than never. <laughs> Thank God. I mean, honestly, like, and this just kind of falls right in line with what Elias is doing. You know, he's obviously getting rid of the the old antage and all the old pieces of this organization and he's moving in a totally different direction and you're either on board with that or you're not and you're either going to be a believer in this analytic system because he's proven in multiple places now that it works and if you're not 100% bought into that then you know what there's no place for you here and he's also looking at this from a financial standpoint right you know all of these guys all of these players they end up costing money, yeah, right? Yeah. And if you're going to be putting a new system in and adding things to the system, you got to subtract to add. How much of that do you think was the the unwavering uh, devotion of the Angelos family to a guy like Brady and what he brought to this I th- organization? I think team? the Angelos family's always been good with that. That's the one thing I will give Angelos family and the or- Orioles organization a uh, ton of credit for the way that they honor their former players and the way that they make them a part of the a continued part yeah. of the organization even like if you've never actually been to the game and sat in the club level they have players that walk around and go into the club seats and they sit down and they'll sign autographs with How you. How almost always there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, guys like freaking Larry Sheets and Larry Bigby and yeah. like, or I mean, like all kinds of guys that names you forgot about, you know, right. guys, but they're still a part of the organization. And I know it's got to feel good 
for these players because outside of baseball, they're probably nobodies well, because they most of them don't have careers outside of baseball. This well, keeps them involved. Yeah, and that's that's the thing is like you know a guy like Al Bombery who actually uh, I got to see this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got cool cool chance to go out onto the field and do batting practice. That's awesome. Uh, with the Orioles, Scotty McGregor actually throwing me so weird. I did not want to have a lefty throwing to me, and <laughs> Scotty McGregor's throwing to me. I'm like, oh, shit. I love right, hitting off go. lefties. I, I hate hitting off lefties. I love hitting. I, I can was, see the ball so much better off a lefty. I see. I can. I, I see it way better out of the righty. Really? Out of the righty. Interesting. Uh, it's weird. Uh, but no, he's throwing to me, so that was kind of cool. Al Bumbry was there. That was kind of cool. Um, and they they keep these guys in the organization, which is nice from a, a fan perspective, especially because of the Orioles fan base. And I think that's that's one thing that I actually am giving the Angelos brothers credit for is the fact that they're coming in saying, look. We love our current fan base. Our current fans that show up on a weekly, monthly, daily basis. We love them. It's barely plural anymore, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yes. But they recognize they need to make a movement and move and evolutionize with the game of baseball. Yeah. Um, but there, there's comments like this past week where John Angelos makes it, you know, he was asked about all the rumors, everything about the, the Orioles and them moving and everything. And he says, as long as Fort McHenry is watching over the inner Harbor, the Orioles will be in Baltimore and be in Maryland. The Orioles are a Baltimore institution. That's the beginning and the end. As far as I'm concerned here, here's my take on that. I've never once believed that the Orioles were ever going to be leaving, but for those out there that do believe that the Orioles are, are, are potential or could potentially leave, these comments don't make them feel any better. No. Ursay said the same thing about the <laughs> freaking Colts, and he up and took the team out in the middle of the night. Right. So these comments mean nothing. Right. Well, I'm if, glad if he that said doesn't it. happen with the Colts. They, they may mean a little bit more to Baltimore, but we've right. seen, we, we've, we've heard, and we've seen heard this before. it before. Right. And, well, and I'm going to. to Abide by it, and I'm going to believe in it because I never believed that the Orioles were going <laughs> I, I joked and said, all of a sudden you hear Nashville bombs, <laughs> bombs <laughs> Fort McHenry. Yeah, and all of a sudden, oh, well, Fort McHenry's not there. We got to go. Let's go. <laughs> Onward to Nashville. <laughs> exactly. So uh, it's just funny. I saw that. Uh, but the other thing that happened this week, we finally fe- sealed the second pick in the draft this year. We got three top pop prospects that are kind of rolling around. You got Emerson Hancock out of Georgia, who's right-handed pitcher. First baseman Spencer Torkelson out of Arizona State. And third baseman Austin Morton out of Vanderbilt. Uh, Hancock is expected as of right now to be the number one pick yeah. in this draft, uh, which will go to Detroit. Who are you taking? If I'm taking anybody out of these top three, I would take Emerson first if I had him there just because how depleted this pitching staff Agreed. is right now. And if he falls, you take him. Right. And I know we do have some pieces down in the minor leagues that are coming up. They're still, you know, a few years away, but they'll be here in a couple of years. But if I'm going to take a position player out of this, I'm going to take the biggest need, and I think the biggest need is third baseman, and that's Austin Martin from Vanderbilt. This kid, he's got it all. He can he's defensive, he's got a good arm. So and that's what we read right now. Right right now we've got a couple of guys that quote unquote play third base and their bats are great. Ryan Mountcastle was one of those. Now they're moving them all around trying right. to find Who a place Who knows where the him. hell he's playing. Right. I, it, but that's the biggest need at the major league level right now. So if you're going to take a top player, position player, that's where I'm going. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm kind of right there and thinking with you. There was part of me that was kind of saying, okay, first base, Spencer Torkelson. You know, we have Mountcastle. You've got Mancini. Uh, you got you – got, uh, 
Alberto I feel like anybody huge. can play first base, right? If you take an athlete, a major league athlete, and give them a couple of weeks at first base, most people can learn the position pretty easy. It's the easiest position, in my opinion, and this is coming from a guy that played a lot of years at first base. This, in my opinion, is one of the easier positions. It's a, it's a hot corner in the sense that the ball does come off the bat hot down that way, but... Well, yes, but you also, you know, I, I would I would tend to disagree with you there because your your play now relies on everybody else in the infield because in in the the sense that yes, you run over to first base, you you, you catch the throw. Picking? We oh, saw no, that on a Trey Mancini. That's why I say I, I disagree with that statement because Trey Mancini, we've seen it, has he developed? Yes. Is he a good first baseman? Is he serviceable? He's more than serviceable. Yes. But I'll be honest, defensively, he is no Chris Davis at first base. But Chris Davis is exceptional. Chris Davis is an exceptional first baseman. So there's only a few of them on Chris Davis's level as defensively at first base. But what my point is, I get what you're saying. If like this kid, Austin Martin, right? He's a third baseman. He's he knows the infield. He can field a ball off the ground. Typically, if you're already used to playing in the infield and you can field a ground ball, you can play first base and pick a ball out of a dirt that's on a low throw. Maybe not as good as Chris Davis, maybe not on that kind of elite level, but you can do that. If you're already limited and your primary position's first base and you don't bring any value anywhere else on the field, that's where I feel like you're kind of limited. Whereas this kid, Austin, could potentially play third. We know that that transition transitions Agreed. over to first base. Okay, Agreed. that's all. Agreed. That's okay, I see. I see your point there. I see where you're going with that. So, and now it's time for the two minutes. Warning. Hey, I didn't realize what time it was. We went on for a while, huh? Yeah, we're ranting. <laughs> Let's get this shit wrapped up. Oh, man. Wrap it up, Fred. Wrap it up, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you have, what, five? One, two, three, four, five. You got five topics here. They're okay. I'm going to say you can't get through all five. You get through all five, I'll do a shot after okay. hours. All right. So, ready? Let's do it. All right, Fred. It's your turn to do the two-minute warning, and your time starts meow. Vikings wide receiver Adam Thielen wasn't mincing his words after the team loss on Sunday to the Bears. Thielen's obviously frustrated with the team's lack of a passing attack and was quoted as saying, you can't be one-dimensional in this league. It's just way too easy to defend. You can only run for 180 yards every so often, even with the best running back in the league. It sounds like we're not the only team in purple with some locker room issues. There's a Greyhound bus. Hey, remember that asshat player that used to play for the Bengals when he wasn't suspended and then the Raiders signed him to the offseason in the Island of Misfits? Yeah, Vontez Perfect, that guy, right? Well, his season's over. He gone. He As gone. the NFL suspended the linebacker on the re- for the remainder of the 2019 season after a helmet-to-helmet hit on Colts tight end Jack Boyle. It's a repeated offense, hence the heaviest suspension. But look, for me, this dude needs to be out of the league altogether. He needs to be suiting up in the XFL next year. <laughs> Screw this guy. I have not liked him since day one. 
The Cubs are going to have a new manager next season. Joe Madden and president of baseball operations Theo Epstein announced Sunday it was time for a change after three years of declining results since the franchise's historic World Series championship in 2016. Would Elias consider a move to bring someone like Madden on board? Or will another team come knocking for him? We'll see. According to the Washington Post, the Nationals have offered Anthony Randone a seven-year contract in the 210 to $215 million range. Coming off an MVP-type year and entering free agency for the first time, it sounds like Washington's doing everything they can to keep their guy. Smart decision, in my opinion, going after Randon after letting Harper walk last year. Definitely the better move. California will become the first state to allow college athletes to profit from endorsements. California Governor Gavin Newsom signed a law allowing college athletes in the state to hire agents and receive financial compensation for the use of their name, image, or likeness. The bill, which received uh, warnings, damn it, I was almost there. I was literally like 10 <laughs> words away. I'll give you credit. Uh, I'll give you that credit. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. You got through that. <laughs> Whew. Hi, Scott. Sign us out of here, man. Well, we got the den and ad read real quick. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that thing. <laughs> Don't confuse me over here. Jesus Christ. Oh, I don't have my ad read. There you go. <laughs> we want to make sure that we take a second to thank the good people over at Sound United, the parent company of Polk Audio, Definitive Technology, Denon Marantzik Classe, for sending us these attractive Denon AHD 5200 headphones. Denon makes some of the most popular AV receivers, but man, do they know headphones too. These premium headphones sport ear cups made of real zebra wood and exotic tone wood used on high-end acoustic guitars. This lends the AHD 5200s a naturally warm, musical sound. You'll find Denon's free-edge drivers under the hood, a shining example of Japanese headphone engineering. Large dynamic drivers are suspended within a baffle system that lowers resonance. The drivers deliver healthy mids, smooth highs, and tight, potent bass. Just let your ears sink into the plush blended leather padding and enjoy music like never before. All right, Scott, now, <laughs> now I can take us out, out of here. Oh, man. We want to thank all of you guys for tuning in each and every week. This week, we, we went live at 7.30. Yeah, I need that back. <laughs> to remind Christ. all of you guys, check us out, www.birdlandbs.com. While you're there, check out all of our episodes. Learn about each of us. Contact us. Get yourself some Birdland BS gear. Let us know. We've got the squad locker back up and running so that we can uh, get some additional hats. i got to order myself another hat. Visit thebigpay.com. Uh, Twitter page as well as downloading their app and visit them on your social media sites. All of them. <laughs> Jeez, I'm out of it. <laughs> Follow Burley BS on all of our social media accounts. Twitter, uh, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat. Make sure you like, follow, subscribe to us while you're there. And make sure you share it with with all of your friends. If you want your opinion or topic heard on the show, use the hashtag That's BLBS. Some of you guys have been out there using it. We bring it up on the show. Make sure your comments are heard. As always, be sure to check out the audio version of the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, whatever app you use for your podcast, we're there. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we'll be back next Tuesday night, 8, or sorry, 7.30. We got to change that. For Fred, myself, and bartender Blake over there, we'll see you guys next week. We'll see you guys. <laughs>